Hello everyone and welcome once again <clears throat> to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and it is a wonderful privilege to be able to utilize this tremendous um, technology to be able to reach out to First of all, my church here in, in Dallas, those that are affiliated with this church, and to reach out to um, all of our Saints Network family across this nation and around the world. Greetings, and I pray that you're enjoying the blessing of the Lord and that all is well as you seek after him. I wanted to share with you from the scripture today about something that we have discussed many times over the years in different fashions, and that is the idea of travailing in intercession. Now, before some of you who are a little less reactive turn the broadcast off. Uh, let me tell you that we're going to be looking at this from a very deep um, investigative perspective to, to actually learn some of the framework of, of what's being said here and what really uh, allowed the Spirit to guide me down this pathway was that Yesterday, on Tuesday, uh, we put forth an appeal to um, our Saints Network and to our church here for all the saints to lift up in prayer one of the churches in Brazil, particularly, <clears throat> that was going to be gathering that night, Tuesday night, to have a time of proscuneo, prayer. And we were asking for uh, the, the presence of the Lord to be very evident among them and that God would draw the people near to him and that he would soften the hearts of those that perhaps the enemy would try to harden and remove from the fellowship. And then, um, of course, uh, the passage in Galatians 4, which is our signature passage, verse 19, where the Apostle Paul says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. And I, I was mentioning that we as saints, who have a responsibility to go into all the world and make disciples, of course that should be all of the church's um, a mandate, but particularly for us as saints, we don't want to just, as important as this is, um, bring babies into the church. Uh, we, we want to see the church grow and become the forming of Christ or anointed sons. It's a very different ministry. You know, the church, the church generally has you know, evangelistic campaigns or witnessing campaigns to bring people into a knowledge of Christ. That's imperative, important. Then most of the church has what they call, in their idiom, evangelists, people that will come in and stir up the congregation, maybe entertain them a little bit, stir them up, give them a shot of repentance, and, and that's good, too. It is exhortation. But there's very little attempt within the church to have people actually grow into the deeper things of the Spirit. That's just a fact. We can say we're doing that, uh, but it's, it's just not a regular framework. You see the early church that's supposed to have those who love the Lord, saints, 
pneumaticos, and prophets all functioning within the church. You see that in the scripture. But modern day interpretation of those uh, terms would relegate uh, would relegate each of them into the general church blender and mix it into some kind of a of an energy drink that you lose there's no energy and you lose the the unique identity and calling of each of those capacities so there's there's very little development of deeper things every now and then the spirit will move and somebody gets uh, it gets on fire and uh, that is watched for a few minutes and then um, or a few days and then hopefully that person will cool down or if they persist they get uh, restraints put on them and then that either shuts them off or discourages them or creates bitterness and then you have somebody that launches out as a rejected seer and uh, usually that damages them and it welcomes strife these are just things that we we've seen on a regular basis and it's true it's just true um, so we as saints have a mission to fulfill the role of the saints which is not the topic of this day and um, but then also to largely go into churches where um, there is an opening by the Spirit for uh, ministry to the congregation to teach them and then when that happens then everybody in the general church who's unwilling to go along will either abandon post stir up insurrection attack the pastor accuse them of any kind of thing that's possible instead of see we see that today i mean you can't hardly make a comment about a social issue with about without first of all being shut down with some miscreant name racist misogynist uh, whatever um and in the church when you begin to seek the Lord, people will watch that, and then people don't want those who don't want to lose their power base will accuse the pastor or the church of being uncaring, unloving, unscriptural. And when those things are thrown out, it's it's hard to, even though they may not even be remotely true, it's hard to remove that that label even though it may not be true. Now, in some cases, it is true. But in large part, those are the things that happen. And so, when we go by the directive of the Lord, and we are presenting the message of the deeper things of the Word of God, and people are receiving them, we have a responsibility to travail until Christ be formed. And we have a responsibility for the places where we initiate through the directive of the Spirit that forming process, forming as Christ, um, to be as an anointed son, doing the will of the Father, to be a... Uh, a, a representative of a Messiah, as it were, leading people into the next phases of what the Spirit is wanting to do, bringing a deliverance from the old into the new. And that is, um, that is what we as saints face. Now, let's look at what travail because Paul mentions this in in the Bible there are a lot of different terms that are translated as travail like for instance hala h-a-l-a which can mean sickly it can mean being beset by something for um, 
toward the idea of you recovering or entering then into the halal of partnering with the Lord. We've studied that. H-A-L-A. Where's that teaching, Pastor? Consult <laughs> consult the archives, the search engines. God gives us so much meat. I'm, I mean, I know what these terms mean, but if you're asking me when I taught about this, that's, that's probably not going to engender a response from me because I don't, I'm not a walking index of, of when I brought forth teachings, but I know we've talked about that and others have. Then there was yalad, which is the primary word for just simply birthing. A yaled would be a, a son, usually, that's born, but it could also be, of course, uh, a female born. In the New Testament, you have very often <coughs> genos, or even genesis, as the description of birthing, which would indicate the new beginning or the new life. But in this passage, you have a unique word which you'll recognize when I say it, especially Marvel Comics fans. Odin, O-D-I-N, and derivatives off of it. This is the primary word um, that is needing to be explored a little bit. Now, in, in the, the New Testament, this, this word is used uh, here in Galatians 4, and then in Galatians 4.27, just eight verses later, the Apostle Paul, under the anointing of the Spirit, references Isaiah 54. It is written, Rejoice, barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. And um, there, that word in, in Isaiah 54 speaks, it's a curious word. It, it, it can mean the, uh, the motions of travail in physical birth, but it's also used to describe dancing. It's used to, it was used to describe uh, David's dance, the, the virgins at, at uh, Shiloh, they, their dance. It, it was something that, that really spoke about a spiritual partnership, an offering, as it were, to bring about something new, a prophetic action, but something that had a lot of energy invested and obedience. It, it's, it's very interesting to trace that word because if you just say well that can be hard labor well there is such a thing as hard labor especially in those days when deaths and childbirth were common because they didn't have the the medical expertise and technology to help with um, the birth process um, you, you may want to look a little bit deep, more deeply at that word and how it's used in the Old Testament because it's, it's not just, it's not simply the birthing of children. It, it is the birthing of anything in partnership with um, your doing whatever it is that, um, that is required to bring about a new thing. And, and it would be an interesting study for somebody to do. As I was looking into this last night and early this morning, uh, there, there was one uh, place that, that I was, was referencing where they, this gentleman was speaking about, he, he, that I, he had identified ten different types of dance in the, in the Old Testament. And... Um, and what they were used for. Uh, there, you know, there was even a really weird 
Baal, B-A-A-L, dance that his, um, that the, that the demonic beings, um, priests were doing when, um, Elijah faced off with them at the top of the, the mountain, and, in, and I don't know where he got all this info, so again, he didn't say what all they were, and I don't really care to look at it. Some of you who, who are interested in this, you can explore it a little bit more, um, but the point is that this word travail was used as one of the types of dance and it, um, and it indicated the bringing about of something new. And when you think about it that way, those, after the, the war with the tribe of Benjamin, and Benjamin was almost destroyed, here were these young girls at Shiloh, they were dancing, offering this kind of dance, welcoming the new, welcoming what God wanted. They were doing it as unto the Lord. And um, those, those people decided that it would be a good idea to have these holdouts from Benjamin come and just steal away these girls. you imagine that? You know, you're, you're from the tribe of Issachar. And you send out your version of Abishag. She's your daughter. And she loves the Lord. And here she is at this moment where Israel was on the verge of self-destructing. And um, you're proud of your little girl because she's going to minister the Lord. Here she goes up to Shiloh. And the next word you get is these guys that you've been fighting have been permitted and invited to come and steal away not only your daughter but the other many of the other little girls pure little girls doing something unto the Lord sometimes I wonder I mean I, I just we see things that religion does today but these were supposed to have been the people of God well, what would have been the solution pastor for Benjamin well I have some thoughts on that but I'm not going to add to them to me they partnered with Belial. They defended Belial. And in so many ways, we, we face that same thing today. You remember the story, don't you? Of what engendered that war? Um, you had those sons of Belial within the ranks of, Be of uh, Benjamin. Sons of Belial, the Bible calls them. And the, the, the horrific thing they did in killing a woman, dismembering her, sending her body parts to all the tribes. And then when the, the, the right-thinking representatives of the tribes came and said, give us these men that did this. This is an abomination. Benjamin said, no, we're not giving them up. We'll fight you over this horrific action. And Benjamin was almost destroyed. Today we see brothers and sisters in Christ, born again, many of them, many of them, not all of them, many of them, who are defending child mutilation, who are defending heinous activities in the name of love and we've got to show support. Forget what thus says the Lord says. And there is friction. You know, I was reading about the Methodist Church and my, my family's roots were from Methodism and the spiritual evangelistic roots of that, of that Wesleyan um, forming. I think that we as saints need to really be watching the moment and praying for those 
who say we're coming out from among this and being separate and don't listen to the media don't listen to the the holiness bashers that are accusing such people as being uncaring unloving um, we need to be praying that in the midst of this maybe maybe we need to do some travail as the, as those young girls were trying to do in Shiloh that the spirit of the Lord would come upon and blow upon those those embers those roots of of the of the power of the spirit that birthed that that movement to reach the world for Christ and to move in the things of the spirit I I'm I have family history to know that the Methodists were very much the progenitors of what was called holy rollers people who were spirit-filled not all of them but a good number of them even Wesley when you read the journals uh, being, being strangely warmed or having encounters with God out in the, in the in the woods where he would go to pray and seek God and even there I was speaking with a Wesleyan scholar 30 years ago and he he gave me some documents that spoke about Wesley even uh, intimating that he spoke in other tongues you know, we, we need to be praying we're seeing this right now we're seeing this right now so travail in this New Testament framework we have the benefit of a direct quote from the Old Testament into the New which is provenance that this word Odin really means to invest yourself physically spiritually emotionally prophetically to welcome whatever it is that God would want yes it can be dancing we believe in that yes we do but it doesn't have to be that there were people in the Old Testament who travailed mentally um, the wicked and the righteous going through you know we talk about mental gymnastics what does that mean that that's this kind of thing this was a warfare uh, description where you invest yourself I mean you can look it up for yourself but this quote adds credence to what further things I'm going to say about what travail really was now so the other only other time this word was used was in the book of Revelation chapter 12 when <clears throat> the great dragon the red dragon that's not a Chinese restaurant um, watched as the woman travailed in birth and pained to be delivered so it's an apocalyptic thing maybe we're at that moment now so what what does this word Odin or Odino mean well I I think it's very interesting to see how these terms are then adopted into the larger flow of society and um, in the original Greek this term meant a um, a something that was girded up painstakingly to support a weight like a a back structural formation to give to give the ability for something of great import to be brought forward so it's the work of support and strengthening to bring something forth yes it was used for birth pangs um, it was also used to describe um, like in in Greek uh, philosophy of Socrates or in the words of Bill and Ted some of you only know it from that Socrates 
Who's Bill and Ted? I do not understand this. Um, pregnant, he said, and in travail with knowledge. And, and that was a philosophical term that was used by then several of the philosophers in that day. Their desire to do anything they could to not only grasp and bring forth understanding, but to convey it in whatever means necessary to those that were to be their disciples. That's, that's interesting. Now, once the Greeks began to utilize this term in, in that way, they recognized that it was, um, it was a, uh, a very, dare I say, spiritual thing, is a, is a very um, dynamic thing that was more than as beautiful, as wonderful as giving birth to a child would be. Um, it, it, it really did speak of dynamic um, measures of um, bringing something to, uh, to bear. And I, I, of course, as I said with Marvel Comics, um, Odin in mythology, in the Germanic groups, and then went up into the um, um, into the far further north, um, Sweden, Norway, even in Denmark. Um, they they called this being who they thought was over all by this name, and. Um, and the, the idea that they grasped from observing what this word really meant was that there was a spirit realm and there had to be great measures of um, exertion to create something new. Um, so they labeled this being, which, so I don't know about Odin, well, what is today? What is this day called? This, if you're listening to this in the middle of the week, this program is called what? Something Night Live. Wednesday. Did you realize that this Wednesday was Woden's day? Odin, this day was named after this word. Look it up. It's there. And so, Odin supposedly, and I'm not giving credence to this, but in their mythologies they use this term would say that he gave birth to so many of the things that um, we see around us through this identity. In warfare he would come and bring creativity and strategies and power to bring victory um, they often said that if someone was possessed by a spirit in their culture, that what needed to be um, to be um, what needed to be done was there needed to be a um, an, an influence of this term to get that horrible thing out from the person. So this was a very well-known and powerful um, concept, uh, even so much so that here in the book of Revelation, in the eschatological moment where the great red dragon is about to do war with this child, man-child that's born, whatever you think that represents and there are many opinions I have my own the the way this is happening is through this mindset so you have Paul saying I'm travailing so that Christ can be formed in you <clears throat> and I'm really disappointed he goes on to say 
that you have not positioned yourself for further growth. Paul really laid into the Galatians about a number of things. Maybe we need to we need to pray those over society today. But then he quotes Isaiah 54. And here he uses that term that, um, uh, that we talked about a little bit earlier. And um, the, the, the power of what needs to be exerted by all of us if we're going to see the Spirit of the Lord do what he wants to do. Um, that that whole that that dance that prophetic act Isaiah 54 and there are so many gold nuggets in this verse we've talked about it a number of times but in order to go from the root that is alive but the stump of the tree and to bring that back to life it's going to need and that's what barren is that's going to need this kind of prophetic action and how God leads us in that is important. You know, here's something that I probably need to say and it, I can say it from the standpoint of what, of what I've been talking about thus far. You know, because the church in general doesn't embrace these kinds of things. They certainly don't want to look awed in the eyes of the, of the public. And they honestly, they don't want to miss what God is really wanting. They don't want to start doing something that's fad, even though they do it in a lot of other ways in competition with one another. I understand that. Because I passed, I grew up in that, I pastored in it for a long time. My main thing was I didn't want to lead our people into something that wasn't scriptural. But then, because they resist, within the church, this kind of thing is, um, is even more difficult. You know, when I've been around enough children that are born that usually I see families openly, openly supporting I don't see anybody walking out of a birthing room complaining that the girl is um, is not being scriptural because she's a little too demonstrative. I don't see that. But in the church you do. And so then what you have is you have um, the church not benefiting from the breakthrough. You have people not wanting to participate and they miss out. And then you usually have some who just like doing weird things and they'll embrace a good thing and go overboard with it. And so then you're put in a position to reel that person in and usually they don't want to be reeled in. They say you're resisting the spirit and um, while still trying to encourage the legitimacy. And then on the other side you've got naysayers who are watching the whole process only focusing on a person who's kind of out of bounds but it's kind of it's kind of wheat and tares kind of thing sometimes you can't tell the difference so you've you've got to let things go watching it but then those naysayers will say well the pastor just letting anything go on not supporting him to try to bring forth the new attacking him Man, it's 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 a process. I'd like to blame it on the enemy. But the natural mind which wars against the things of the spirit, it's kind of like a proxy war. The enemy just like what we do in Ukraine, we're not going to fight. We're going to give you all these weapons and we're going to bankrupt our economy. You fight. And the enemy gives weapons to these people and just watches the, the conflict ensue. So my point, though, is that we've got to be um, a people that are really listening to God in these days. 
because God is calling the saints to see a partnership to bring forth the new that God has intended. And that may engender us engaging in something that is more demonstrative. It's got to be led by the Spirit. You just don't do things. And I think to some degree we've we followed this path. I mean, we in Saints Radio yesterday, we were speaking about since January of this year, the stream of different fastings and prayer emphasis prophetically engendered that God has led us on and uh, up to this point, and even now with France a week away, um, there are things that the Lord is speaking to me and I know to other individuals. I don't know what they are, so I won't comment. Um, but it's just a different type of mental, spiritual offering before the Lord to welcome the new. But there are other things that God wants. I think... Um, I think that we need to go before the Lord and ask, see the, the, the power. There are lots, again, of terms in the Old Testament. I reference most of them. Maybe all of them. It's the difference between birthing and travail. That's clear. And then there are different types of travail. But this type if we just want to be biblical purists, which we, we try our best to be. This is from Odin that goes back to Hul in the Old Testament, and it talks about a supernatural exertion that maybe looks weird at times, or maybe can't be explained to the more genteel among you. And you, you've got to be careful not to cast those pearls before swine you know, of all the... Th now, sometimes you can't help but see it happen in the congregation. Um, and, and if there's a, a movement being birthed, it's going to be out there in front of everybody, which is what happened to us, and to some degree, what happened at Brownsville. Um, the problem is that so many people get s addicted to those kinds of actions and then long after the birthing is over, people are trying to recreate the travail movements, trying to create the moment. You try that with a girl that's just given birth. Three months after, you know, she's got postpartum to some degree, you know, she's tired being up all night. Somebody comes in and says, you know, you're not, you're not as vibrant as you once were. Can you recreate the travail that brought forth this child? You're going to get slapped. But we have people that think that the action itself is what brings the moment. And then you have people in church that will sing about it, but God forbid we were ever required to do it today. Um, this is a moment where the Spirit of the Lord is awakening things that have been hidden to bring them to life, positive, proactive life. Um, but travailing for Christ to be formed is something different than the first measure of life. It's a morphing from one thing to the next, being changed from glory to glory. And that's not talking about when the trumpet blows, brother, and we're up there on the streets of gold. You should be continually being changed, continually being as chaste virgins, to see Christ brought forth. And we, as the Apostle Paul was, need to be praying for that process to go forth as God would direct in, um, in the days that we're living in. So we're, we're in this moment. So when I say yesterday, let's pray for the churches in Brazil. And when I say let's pray 
for this gathering of leaders from Western Europe that's going to convene in Nice, France, next weekend. Not this weekend, next weekend. Um, God wants to do something new. What do we need to offer him? What, what do we need to bring before the Lord in obedience to see the good thing that God wants to do out of the bad things that seem to be happening throughout society? What do we need to do to see the message of the dynamism of the Spirit received in churches in a great nation? What do we need to offer to God that costs us something? That's what, it's a different word, but what David said regarding the threshing field when it was offered to him. I can't offer to God something that doesn't cost me anything. So what does this travail look like for us? Well, it's more than just, oh God, please bless those people. That's a good beginning. But the Spirit of the Lord in the, in the, the, the defining of Socrates may be putting something into your mind and into your spirit on behalf of this meat that we need to convey and to get it into people who are needing to be trained biblically, scripturally in the things of the Lord. People who love the Lord but they need to be, be, they need to be changed into his image. Why did Jesus need to be transfigured? Oh, I don't need to be transfigured. I'm born again. Oh, yeah? Tell that to the one who gave himself for you. Why did he need to be transfigured? Why did Paul, who was doing a, a magnificent work for the Lord, why did he talk about being changed at each measure of, um, of development? We need this. You need this. Oh, I'm just too old. That was for a younger person. Tell that to Caleb. Tell that to Isaiah in the later years of his ministry, especially after that litany of kings that he ministered to when he ends up with Hezekiah. Tell that to him. Tell that to John. Your, your argument your retirement mode doesn't fit in. you got to be Elijah's in these days. And you need to be serving to birth Elisha's. This is what the enemy does not want. It's what he's attacked throughout Scripture. <clears throat> it's what he's done to the church. And in these days, God wants to <clears throat> breathe his breath upon this biblical principle that even the pagan world understood the power of this world, this word, and this concept. And through, I'm sure, the enemy's directive, they funneled it into the name of their chief mythological being, whether it was an actual demon or not, I don't know. Probably was, because the enemy was all over that. But it's so much so that the naming of the calendar honors that. So on this Woden's Day, forget about Odin, the myth. Maybe this should be Travail Day because that's the Greek word. Maybe it should be Hul Day each week. I think we're going to do this. Yes, we are. We're going to offer to God every Wednesday for the next season. How long, Pastor? I don't know. It's, he's just speaking to me now. Let me listen to the Lord. I only say that because people will knee-jerk ask me these things and it just, I think, don't you, don't you know by now that, that I'm going to respond that way and a normal person would? Um, 
Wednesday should be a travail day because that's where this Greek word formed this this name of this day hump day the middle of the week well maybe this is prophetic Wednesday is the fourth day of our week so with the seven spirits this is prophetic <laughs> anyway travail till Christ be formed travail till the man child is born travail till the uh, the measures of um, um, what God's root and intended foundational purpose is is brought forth that's what the saint's name means remember this is good so I release a heightened measure of sensitivity and, inter and intercession for the things that are all around us you are nematocos people it's time and um, let's let's activate and utilize the power of these scriptures that have largely been ignored out of ignorance and how that ignorance formed was probably out of uh, an unwillingness to keep the function alive because it was inconvenient or perhaps unsightly unnerving you know one time many years ago many years ago we've heard all kinds of things we we had a woman in the church who was hypersensitive I'm not faulting her I think she could have probably reeled herself in a little bit but she and her husband left the church because she said she couldn't handle when people shouted and it didn't happen all the time you know it wasn't like a an Irish election but every now and then the spirit would come on somebody one lady in particular who was sincere and she would shout out now it's not the person you're thinking of today this this person's not in the church anymore um, she moved away not to get away but she moved um, and this good man came up to me and said I pastor we love you we just can't we just can't stay here because my wife can't handle these intermittent shouts and to me I thought maybe we need to pray for you because it's not happening all the time I mean how, how do you wake up in the morning do you set an alarm does that startle you I again oh pastor you're being mean to this woman she may have had mental conditions I know some of you are thinking that but here's the deal the shout is something that is regularly mentioned in scripture in fact, the rapture is going to happen when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout. God help that woman because she may recoil from the Lord and miss the moment. And I'm not saying you just shout for shouting's sake, but if, if you're saying that you can't handle something that is evidenced in Scripture over and over and over again, and in one particular instance is something that all of the general church is looking to, that great shout and the blast of the trumpet to get us out of here. Maybe you need to go before the Lord and say, Father, I need you to help me here. I love this place. You've called me here. This is something that your word mentions, and it just sets me on edge. What does that mean spiritually for me? What does that mean? Is there something in me that, that um, you created to serve in this way? See, that's the normal facet. But to just say, you know, I don't care if the scripture says it. I don't like it. I'm again, it, it sparks me. You know, there's sometimes when I hear people in intercession shouting, it does something to my spiritual breastplate. And I feel a compulsion to support or to to be on alert or mobilized. That might be what was going on there with her. But instead, she said, no, 
I'm not going to be changed. This is a biblical term, folks. Again, let's not forget that. Oh, you know, I, I would lay on my face, but it's so undignified. Now, there are some people that I understand physiologically find it difficult to lay on the floor. I understand that. And I've seen these same people lay on a pew or or lay on a place where they can easily get up. I remember when I was having back problems, I had a terrible time getting up from proscuneo. I remember once being in India when we asked the Indian pastors who for some reason had an aversion to proscuneo, but they embraced it as they knew it was scriptural. I don't know if it was a cultural thing or whatever. But one day, one of the lead pastors got up and he was rejoicing. He said, I see this in the scripture. I had a back injury years ago and, and I went ahead and laid on my face and I felt something move and I stand up today. I don't have any pain. I'm healed. That's wonderful. So if there's something in the word, you see it in the word. Your safe recourse is not to say to the author of the word, in fact, the one who Jesus says he's the living word, ah, not so much for me. I can't do this. I won't do this. Why? Because of this, 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 this. If it's in the word, you better get before the Lord and find out how you can be willing to apply the word. Boy, I went off, didn't I? So on this travail day, let's go before the Lord and let's see what he would ask us to do in whatever way for the forming of the new birth that God has entrusted us as intercessors to welcome. Let's pray for Brazil. Let's pray for Western Europe, and let's be open to the Spirit for any, any of the other places that God might be stirring our hearts to believe for. Thanks for joining us today. God bless you all. We'll look forward to um, being together again this weekend. Until then, God bless you and goodbye.